Before we get into the show, I want to shout out everybody who came out to Smart, Funny, and Black over this year. We have done a number of shows this year, including our tour. We also hit up Chicago. We also did two shows in L.A. And it really has just been an exciting year of seeing the show grow and continue to expand. And we just did our last show of the year in Chicago with Spice Adams. Thank you to everybody who came out to that. And just thank you to everybody who continues to support Smart, Funny, and Black, the live show and the brand. We are looking forward to bringing you so much more next Next year from under the Smart, Funny, and Black heading uh, podcast, uh, a festival, ma- master classes. So really looking to share with you all more that speaks to comedy through the Black lens. So look out for that. And again, I can't tell you how much this all happens with your support. Everything I do essentially comes from a grassroots place. So it's all about the word of mouth, and the sharing of things, which also leads me into my book. Small Doses, Potent Truths for Everyday Use, will be released October 22nd on Abrams Press. And I didn't know this, but essentially, in order to become a New York Times bestseller, it's all about how many books you sell the first week and building up the anticipation with pre-orders as well. So... To all of my listeners, I want to just tell you all that I appreciate you listening to the show and I would love for you to pre-order my book, Small Doses. You can go to smalldosesbook.com so that you can get your pre-order in and they have a number of different retailers at the bottom of the page that you can click on and we'll be offering a promotion where if you buy a pre-order, you actually will get a Small Doses pin. So you'll get a Small Doses lapel pin for free once you pre-order the book, Small Doses. But I just really wanted to enumerate how important it is that you guys speak amongst yourselves in sharing about this book, about sharing your excitement, etc. Because I know for me, that is how I have been able to continue to give you all good stuff. We never promote this podcast. Like, I've never done interviews about this podcast. I haven't done any press, nothing. This podcast continues to thrive because you all continue to share how much you love it with other people who then listen to it and share it with other people. And that grapevine, that word of mouth, that to me is the true marketing. Because what that is, is that's people trusting something who have people who trust them. And I want people to get my stuff because they trust the person they've got it from. And I trust y'all to help spread the word. So make sure you get small doses at smalldosesbook.com and let folks know that we got some good shit coming. Now let's start the show. It's so funky. <laughs> Welcome to this episode of Small Doses. Side effects of professionalism. I'm talking like this because this is how people feel that professional people speak. You know, when you call somewhere where people are trying to sound like they're very professional, they speak in this fashion. It's considered unprofessional to curse. It's also considered unprofessional to use slang. It sometimes can be considered unprofessional to raise your voice. It depends on the profession. depends on where you're working, the culture. If you work at Air Jamaica, then you feel it is unprofessional to speak with a Jamaican accent. Because all, I swear, all of the customer service agents at Air Jamaica talk like this. And it sounds very much like they're trying to mask. A Jamaican accent with a weird, like, British accent, and it's very uncomfortable. I consider myself professional. 
Um, I definitely feel like people throw around the word professional and unprofessional because it seems like subjective in many ways. I talk about in my special how there's a culture of passive aggression that has become synonymous with professionalism in many work environments. Um, I think in other spaces there is a culture of levity that I sometimes feel is a little unprofessional for that environment. And so what I want to talk about today is the ways in which we move in different spaces and how professionalism ends up like having a certain fluidity in some spaces, but how there are strict bottom lines to professionalism that I believe are shared and are, and are consensical. I'm running with it, Rebecca. Consensical. And that I honestly really believe end up being the cornerstone to efficiency, to upward mobility, and to excellence. Let's get into it. Jam drop. Jam dropping. Jam dropping. Jam dropping. We dropping on these hoes. <sighs> this jam drop is about personable versus informal. Amanda, what the hell I got to do with professionalism? Let's talk about it. So I think that for all of us, when we go into an establishment, we want to be welcomed into that establishment. We want someone to make us feel like they want us there and like they are going to provide us with a service or if we're coming in there to be a part of the staff, you know, that they're going to provide us with a working environment that is conducive to our mental health, our career health, etc. So that is why, like, you know, certain spaces, unless, of course, you're going into a West Indian restaurant. If you're going into a West Indian restaurant and they are too personable, you can pretty much count on the food not being that great. Because there has to be a certain animosity that seasons the food that lets you know that they are legit about it, about it, because there is something about West Indian food culture that says we don't really want to serve you, but we know how to cook, so we had no choice. As my friend Reg Thomas says, if they don't make you feel like you're borrowing the food, get, get out, out of there. there. It's probably a golden crust. Now, I definitely make that one exception for West Indian restaurants. Anywhere else I go, I want to be greeted with a pleasantry. If I call customer service, I don't want to feel like I owe them money. Listen, even if the customer service agent works for that company, I don't owe you money, Cynthia. Cynthia. I owed Nelnet money. Stop talking to me as if I'm trying to shake you out of some bread that you let me borrow two months ago that I said I was going to Venmo you in two days and never sent you. Stop. It ain't personal. And let me tell you something. You are not making enough money answering this phone for you to be that mad. But I digress. Being personable in a professional space simply just says, I have a welcoming disposition that wants to help in whatever capacity is going to advance your needs or this business. And I believe there's a way to be personable that, by the way, doesn't mean that you're being amenable, you know, in a in a in a overly exertive way. It doesn't mean that you are being uh, somebody who lets people walk over you. No. Being personable simply just means like being civil. You know, you're just operating like, hey, let's try our best. Informal, however, is when personable crosses the line to personal. Now, the personal space 
is the difference between tú and usted. Now, when we are at a workplace, we are on a usted basis. Sometimes people get too comfortable and start turning that shit into tú. And if you took basic high school Spanish, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you didn't, then I'll explain to you that what I'm talking about is that in a professional space, there should be a certain level of formality upheld for the most part. Now, listen, everybody has their own version of this. You know, like how you meet that one friend whose mom is like, no, call me Linda. And you're like, I can't because you're my elder. So at the, if anything, I have to still call you Miss Linda. But I still want to extend a formalness to you that is not about you being rigid. It's not about you being better than me. It's not about you even being the boss. As much as it's simply about just respecting where you are bringing to this space in contrast to where I am sitting in this space. And I don't think there should be anything wrong with that. And I think that what ends up happening is that when we get into informality, we start bringing a personal energy into a professional space that is inevitably going to blow up in your face. It is inevitable. What do they say in the military? They say familiarity breeds contempt. Because when people start to feel too comfortable in the workplace, they start wanting work to feel like home. They start wanting it to have a certain level of relaxation to it. When you at your home, you run your home. Maybe you don't run your home, but you may run your room. You know, but at your home, you know the rules. The rules are established, and that's what it is. If you're an adult and you have your own set of way of life, that is what that is. But when you come into a workspace, you have to meld that to whatever that space is. And you should be able to do that while still being personable, but without having to get informal. I have really run into problems with this because, especially in creative spaces, it just gets so relaxed so quickly because art is so fluid and flowing. And, you know, you're not working with, like, numbers and you're not adhering to a corporate structure. And it's really just, like, the freedom and liberation of the space is what a lot of times aids to the advancement of the art. But it requires everyone there to always be conscious of the fact that even though we're getting to move in this fluid, like relaxed kind of open space, there still needs to be perimeters that keep it together and efficient. And when you let things get informal and people start feeling like they can just play with the business the way they play with their own lives, shit goes left. It goes left. And it starts a lot of times with little things like how people are addressing each other, you know, with um, communication. The simple act of expecting everyone to have a salutation when they interact has done wonders for how the people I work with interact. No conversation should start without a hello or a good morning, good evening, good afternoon. There needs to be a salutation. We're not fucking. We're also not friends. So we don't have just this like continuous thread going of like, oh my God, did you see what was happening on power last night? Like that's not the conversations we're having. So there needs to be a certain like formality of just how to communicate, even in terms of what you use to communicate on. Like I'm not having business conversations on DM. I may connect with certain people on DM to get them to do Smart, Funny, and Black, but it immediately transfers over to somebody who is going to be handling the logistics of that in a very professional fashion. 
They're not going to be conversing with them on text all willy-nilly. They're going to be having very, like, clear emails that explain everything. And some people are like, well, why can't you have a conversation on text? Because text is informal and email is formal. And that is not subjective. That is a fact. Like, maybe you don't mind text, but everybody knows that email is formal and text is informal. Which is why I dated one dude who was such a trash dude. But when we broke up and he still wanted to kind of like be friends, he started emailing me and stopped texting me. Because that made him feel like, well, we're still cool, but I'm putting you in a formal space so that we're not getting mixed up in the informality of us. Being personable should mean that you can still be, you know, receptive to somebody. You can still share You can still have jokes, but you still have a very clear ceiling of what should be brought into the professional space that's not going to hinder the professional space. And I think that's something that all of us have to decide for ourselves and try to get into spaces where the other people feel the same way. I know for me, I've had a history of oversharing in my professional space with the people that I'm sharing a professional space with. And the best places have been places where I've been able to work with people who can receive that without it affecting their way of looking at me as a leader or their way of looking at themselves as somebody who is like performing an action. And it requires a certain level of maturity, a certain level of awareness, self-awareness, and of course, a certain level of professionalism. To be able to acknowledge, hey, no matter what goes down, I got to do my job first. And it's not about like whether this person likes me or doesn't like me. What it's really about is looking at the bigger picture of things and making sure that I am working in that bigger picture to advance that bigger picture. And if you're not doing that, then you're not being professional. And if you're being informal, there's a good chance that you're not doing that. If I'm being honest, you guys, I have been in a maelstrom, M-A-E-L-S-T-R-O-M. No, maybe you did, Rebecca, but I know there's people who are like, oh, what, bitch? A maelstrom for the past shit. Like, it's been at its most intense in the last three weeks, but it's honestly been for the last year in terms of my professional circle, the people I pay, the people I hire, um, the people who I pay commission to, etc., And a maelstrom is basically like a very high pressure storm. It's like a hurricane, like a cyclone. And it has made me really rethink like how I work in a professional space and how I move in a professional space. And in thinking of like who I wanted to uh, point out for people I like, it brought me back to the first job that I really enjoyed which was when I worked as a hostess at Canyon Road Restaurant in New York City's Upper East Side. My bosses were Halbert and Jennifer. This was honestly, to this day, one of the greatest jobs I've ever had in my life. It was a Mexican restaurant. It was a small Mexican restaurant, like upscale. The chef was a man named Ruperto. There was a bar. There were three servers every night. The room sat, it was a small room, so it sat maybe around 50. 
the servers were all like career servers. So they had a certain level of like, you know, just comfortability. And it wasn't like when you're working at Olive Garden and everybody's like a maniac because they're like, you, 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 you slam me and all this stuff. No, no. everybody kind of just had a maturity about them. And this was my summer job after my freshman year of college. And I got the job because a friend of mine worked at another restaurant that was owned by the same like parent company and found out that they were hiring at this place and got me the job. And I was a hostess, so I'm seating people. And typically in that position, like no one pays you any attention. I mean, not that they really need to, but you're pretty much just looked at like you're the girl at the front. You're really like just the lowest on the totem pole. What I really loved about working at Canyon Road was that there was a familial energy in the restaurant, but it never felt like we weren't expected to get the job done. And that to me is like the best place to work where we can get the job done, but also feel good while we're getting the job done. And it was because of basically the energy that Halbert and Jennifer had set in the place, which was like, we're the managers we all know what was expected of each other. Do your job and we won't have to say shit to you. Ta-da! And as long as you're doing your job, we can all laugh and we can all get along and we can all have jokes. But I just don't want to have to break from our laughter to correct you doing your job. Like that to me is how I've wanted and desired my business to run since then. Like I hate when I have to correct people. And I know people are listening like, bitch, you crazy. You love correcting people. No, the fuck I don't. Especially when they work for me. I hate it so much because it just feels like you're nagging. It feels like you're shading somebody. It just feels negative. You know, like it's just like with your man. Like you don't want to have to keep telling a nigga like, damn, why you do that? Why you do that? Like, I don't want your sorries. I don't want to have to do that. I don't, it's, it's like for color girls. One, One thing, thing I, I don't need is any more apologies. I got sorry greeting me at the front door. You can keep yours. I don't know what to do with them. They don't open doors that bring the sun back. They don't bring the morning coffee. So like that's facts. And it's the same in a workplace. So what I loved about Canyon Road was I was an 18-year-old. I was 19 at the time. I was a 19-year-old going from college freshman year to sophomore year. And I was treated with utmost respect. The utmost respect. And... By people who were like 30 and, you know, 32 at the time, which when you're 19 feels like they're old, right? But I was treated with the utmost respect. And like Ruperto, I mean, Ruperto had to be what, like 36? You know, we had a server there named Angel who was a Pakistani. And he had like three kids. And I remember there was Phil. And Phil was this gay dude who told me like never trust anybody who's missing a tooth. Um, you know, there was Liz. And Liz was like this chick from Queens who always had like, she was a white girl who liked to put her, laid her baby hairs down. But, you know, she was like a no-nonsense, like <laughs> Gypsy Rose Lee type of person. Then there was like, this like cutie named Carlos behind the behind the bar. We tried to go on a date with Carlos, and like I just couldn't understand. He just didn't speak enough English at the time. Like he didn't understand my English, and I didn't understand his Spanish. Um, the biggest thing though was that like even though we were in this professional space, like they knew when to stick up for each other, and they knew when to correct each other. And you, as an employer, need to know how to do that for the people working for you. And you as an employee need to know when to garner that as well. So like I would have times when I was hostessing where like these rich, 
upper crust people would be so nasty to me, like if they didn't get the table they wanted or if I was moving too slow, et cetera. And they'd be saying things to me. Like I remember one time a woman called me a black bitch. Let me tell you something. Halbert was like, no, no ma'am, exit. You are not welcome back here. And you need that support. You need that. And I often feel like people misinterpret professionalism to mean simply just carrying out the will of their boss and or the will of the parent company. And if your idea of professionalism gets in the way of like ethics and integrity, then that's a problem. Now, don't take that to mean like these other fuckholes who say things like, oh, I can't serve you a cake for your gay wedding because I am, you know, I don't believe in homosexuality. That's not professional. That's just stupid. Because the reality is, is that like your belief in homosexuality or not should not have any bearing on like you making the cake. But like if you know that you are treating someone shitty to serve your company, that's not being professional. That's somebody's idea of how to treat people and malintent being put onto you. And you have to really think about if you want to carry that, if the check is worth that. And so what I loved about working at Canyon Road was that at a young age, I was just shown an environment where everybody knew their job and everybody was proud to do their job. And that pride didn't mean like demeaning anybody else on the job who was in a lesser position. And it also didn't mean like being extra or being difficult. It simply just meant like, I know what I'm responsible for and I got it. And no one else here is responsible for me doing what I am responsible for. And people taking pride in knowing what they're responsible for and just carrying it out. And so that's what I did. And I like literally like hostessing became like a science for me because I wanted to operate at the same level as everybody else. And once I was able to do that, oh my God, funnest job ever. Went back during Christmas. Funnest job ever. Halbert still hits me on, on uh, Instant Messenger. Because I really got to see, like, these are two people who were young people. In, my, in, in hindsight, they were young, right? They were 30. But they were managing this restaurant. And they were having to do the books and, you know, deal with all these personalities. But they had created an environment where everybody could still retain their personality at the same time as retaining their professionalism. In contrast, that one time... So if you follow me on Instagram, you've heard this story because I uh, I enumerated it on my Instagram and just spoke about like my frustration with it. And I've had some time to sit with it a little more, talk to my therapist, you know, kind of just process through it. And I wanted to revisit it because I think that there's sometimes where people kind of get caught in the sensationalism of things without understanding like just the real bottom line. And that oftentimes, especially like in social media, when you speak about something that's happened to you, so often I feel like in social media, people think that simply the act of you speaking on it is you like being childish or you complaining or you being emotional, et cetera. As if humans don't experience things and have to verbalize them so they can be processed properly, et cetera. This is a real thing. And sometimes you may have to verbalize it like five times in one day because it's like five different stages that you've gone through to continue to figure it out. And in my, 
experiencing this situation too, I was talking to a friend about it and she just basically was just like, well, that's what it is. And you know, you can deal with it and onwards and upwards. And I was like, you know, I really would appreciate if you had just kind of like met me at the madness of it first before providing an unsolicited like solution or advice. And she was like, well, I don't meet at the madness. What I mean when I say meet at the madness, I just mean like meet me at the processing phase. It's like if someone's house burns down, you don't show up and be like, okay, let's go get another house. Like first it's like we need to like process the damage. You know, we need to assess the damage. We need to deal with like the stuff that you lost in the fire that emotionally bothers you, the stuff that you lost in the fire that like is a practical issue. Like, you know, you lost that doll that that you were given by your grandma, but you also lost your security card and your passport. You know what I mean? Like, so you sometimes in, in certain life situations, you just want a friend to meet you at the madness first. And this friend said to me, well, I'm not the friend that you call to vent. And this has nothing to do with professionalism, but it was just like, well, then what the fuck kind of friend are you? And it really like let me know that like, okay, so I'm not as close to this person as I thought I was because I've never heard anything like that said before. I'm not the friend you call to vent. I come up with solutions. But I never ask her for solutions. I'm not interested in her solutions because I don't necessarily think that she's the best at solutions in relation to me, which is not a shade to her, but it's like, I just... Just something to think about that has nothing to do with this episode, but like, are you the friend that your friends can vent to? Do you help them process it? Like, I like to think that when my friends vent to me, I'm asking them questions that help them process it themselves versus trying to like tell them, well, this is what you need to do. Um, Because we're all going to do what we want to do. So on Emmy weekend, um, It's very common that they have a number of parties throughout Los Angeles. And a lot of the parties are, of course, like kind of stuffy. Um, You know, there's a certain level of quote unquote professionalism that's taking place at the parties because it's a lot of like just industry people that you work with. And for the black folks who, of course, are often overlooked at the actual Emmys, there really is kind of like this... um, idea that we really don't get to like party like how we party culturally so a year ago um Issa Rae's publicist Vanessa Anderson of AMPR and some other people they started doing a black Emmy party so it's basically like to celebrate like black Hollywood and you know just give us a space to come and celebrate after we do the hobnob at like the HBO party the Comedy Central party etc etc So when I arrived at the party last year, I came with Jill Scott. And of course, I work with Issa. So Vanessa is somebody who I have absolutely like met before, like when I had my web series on Issa's channel on YouTube. And I have interacted with her, um, you know, on a few occasions, but she has never been nice to me ever. Like she's always had a certain like curtness and she's always seemed to be bothered simply by just like my demeanor my way of inner my way of communicating with her etc and at a certain point it just became well then this is just not somebody I need to speak to because I don't work for her and she doesn't work for me and you know there's no reason for us to even interact for all intents and purposes so we don't um you know I say hello to her like if I see her but there's not going to be any like back and forth exchange we are not friends so Last year when I got to the party, I showed up with Jill Scott. And when I came with Jill, she 
said, oh, like, let me have my manager go to the front, you know, just to make everything smoother. So her manager went to the front and Vanessa was at the front and her manager like pointed back towards us. And when I was there, I looked at Vanessa and just kind of surreptitiously pointed toward Jill, like, look who I'm, you know, with, because there was a bunch of people outside too. And she just exclaimed, Amanda, nobody has time for this right now. I do not have time for this. And it was like, what's happening? So everybody like looked around because like I hadn't said anything. So it was very weird. Like it was just out the blue that this person was having such like a visceral reaction. So I just was like, um, I don't know what's going on. And so Jill's manager was like, what the hell was that about? He was like, come on. So we just like went in the party and that was that. And I went in the party and, um, you know, I told Issa, I was like, hey, you know, your publicist, like, she's just, like, she's just not being nice. Like, she's just nasty. And I don't even need her to be kind. I don't need her kindness. But just have a certain layer of civility with me, you know? And Issa was like, yeah, I mean, that's just between y'all, you know, because this is her party. So it's not really, like, my jurisdiction to tell her how to treat you at her party. Okay. okay. So I left it at that. This year, Jesse Williams had invited me to the party, and anyone who knows me knows I don't even like none of this party shit, but I love a celebration of blackness. And so when I was at the HBO party, I was telling everybody about this party. Like, you know, we have somewhere where we can go celebrate after this. So I'm like telling Niecy Nash, and I'm telling Sherry Shepard, and, you know, just like everybody I'm running into. Kendrick, who's also on Insecure. Um, who else? Uh, Brisha Webb um, Gabrielle Dennis like just spreading the word so me and Kendrick get to the party alongside my friend Kiki who is not in the industry when we get to the party the girl at the door uh, asks for Kendrick's name and he has a plus one so I'm his plus one and then she asks for Kiki's name and Kiki's like telling her her name and she just writes it in her phone and is like okay so we're about to walk in and then a white woman who has a clipboard who had not been at the rope but was in the front area all of a sudden turns around and points at me and says, no, she cannot go in. She's not on the list. She's not on the list. Now, I had seen Vanessa come outside to the front and have a conversation with her, but I didn't think anything of it. I mean, it is Vanessa's party. Why wouldn't she come and speak to the person at the door? But it was interesting that this was happening because it seemed like an echo of the year before. And so Kendrick was like, I don't understand. And, she, and this girl was like, no, she cannot come in. She is not on the list. She is not on the list. And the security guards were like, yeah, I don't know what that's about. And they were like, no. So Kendrick was like, let me go find Vanessa. So he leaves. I'm there for 10 minutes. And I'm like, you know what, Kiki, let's roll. So we're about to leave. And we go stand outside by the curb to, see, to wait for my car. And um, this other guy comes up, Janet Jackson's manager. And he's like, hey, what are you doing out here? And I was like, they won't let us into the party. He's like, what? That's crazy. I got you. So he comes and takes us to the rope. And he's like, you know, this is Amanda Seals. And the girl's like, no, she's not on the list. She's not on the list. And he's like, but she, what? I mean, can we put her on the list? Like, she should be in here. She is what this is about. And I thank Joey for, for even extending himself to that. And she was just adamant. So then Elijah Kelly comes out. And Elijah Kelly is like, yo, why are you out here? And I'm like, because they're not letting me in. 
And at this point, I've already Instagrammed the fact that, like, a white woman is at the door preventing me from getting into the Black Emmy party. But, you know, what is going on? And now I'm starting to get, like, irritated by it because I'm like, this is just foolish. Like, I'm clearly being targeted here. And... I don't know why. Like, what? what is the actual reason behind this? And so what ends up happening is Elijah's like, you know, you know what? what? They're not going to kick me out of the party, so come on in. So he welcomes me in. And as I'm coming in, the white girl is like, her name is Kiera. She's like, she cannot go in. She cannot go in. And I was like, girl, stop. And I just wave her off and I kept walking. So I walk in and I go to the bar. Kiki goes to the bathroom. By the time Kiki has come back from the bathroom, a security guard is talking to me. And a security guard says to me, hello, hello miss. miss. Um, we, we have been, been asked to escort you out. I've been asked to escort you out. I'm like, well, who asked you to escort me out? And he said, let me find out. So he gets on his phone and he says, Vanessa. I said, well, then you need to find Vanessa. Because I need to speak to Vanessa and I need to find out from Vanessa why I'm being escorted out. And apparently no one could find Vanessa. So Elijah comes over and he's like, what's going on? I'm like, they're escorting me out. So now he's trying to find Vanessa. Jay August comes over and is like, what's going on? I said, they're escorting me out. He's like, let me go find Vanessa because I was sitting at the insecure table. So there's a table for insecure that apparently Natasha is at and Yvonne is at and Kendrick is at. But I'm not being allowed into the party. Because I'm not on the list. So there's a table for the show that I am an actual series regular and a star of. But I am not allowed into the party. So much so that a security guard has now been dispatched to escort me out of the party. So he's conversing with me when two other security guards and the general manager come up. So the general manager is also a black man. And he's like, you need to leave now. You, you need, need to, to leave, leave the, the premises, premises now. now. And I'm like, I'm not leaving nowhere until y'all tell me why I'm being escorted out. We don't have to tell you anything. I said, Vanessa is apparently the reason why I'm being asked to leave. And I need to understand why that is. No, you don't. You need to get out now or I'm calling the cops. So now I have a security guard, another security guard, a third security guard, and a black general manager of Avenue, a club here in Hollywood, telling me that if I don't leave a party for black Hollywood, that I am going to have the cops called on me. And this is all because of one black woman named Vanessa Anderson at the AMPR group, whom I have never done anything to. So I'm like, you know what? I'm out. Because now I'm also seeing people see this happen and they're doing nothing. So that's the other part. So I start to walk out. And I turned to the general manager and I pointed at him. I was like, you going to feel, I, I said, this is fucked up. Now, Kiki at this point is like, fuck this. You know, and, you know, and, and it lets you know that I was being targeted because like no one was pressing Kiki. Kiki ain't got shit to do with Black Hollywood. And no one was bothering Kiki. It was all about, we need to get Amanda Seals out of here now. And this guy, this general manager, I point at him and I say, you know, you're fucked up for this. And when I do that, his other security guard, this white guy, gets between us and pushes up against me. And it takes everything, literally, I'm not even exaggerating. It took every single ounce of my strength to not retaliate against that. 
And it was the nice security guard who was literally in my ear, like, you don't have to do this. We don't have to do this tonight. You don't have to do this. It was like the ancestors came down and sat on my shoulders, like, don't give them the satisfaction. Don't. Don't do it. Because, you know, I will protect myself the same way that if I saw this happening to someone else, I would have been all up in that shit. If I saw a black woman calmly sitting at the bar, who I know is a part of this fucking environment, being harassed by security guards, there is no way in hell I'm letting that go down without making a ruckus. And for the record, nobody made a ruckus for me. Nobody. And the amount of ruckus that I make for everybody was really like an eye-opening and very honestly like delayed. I had a very delayed emotional reaction to the reality of like, y'all just not me. We just not the same. We're not the same. And I may be in this Hollywood shit, but I ain't y'all. Because I could not believe that I really have four security guards surrounding me at a place that was supposed to have been a safe space. It was literally a place that was supposed to be created as a safe space in contrast to these other spaces that we feel like we have to go to retain our professionalism. I have to go to the NBC party. I have to go to the HBO party. I have to go to the Comedy Central party. Not because I want to party, but because if I'm trying to uphold my standard of professionalism, these are spaces within which I work. These are people who I work with. And it behooves me to go into those spaces as a responsible professional person to make sure that I am being present and that I am having, you know, continuing to build relationships. And, you know, even if I don't like that space, I still have to do it because I know what I've signed up for. And I know that this is a part of what it means to be a Hollywood professional. You get dressed, you come out, you hobnob. It doesn't take long, but you do it and you continue to build a network that allows you the opportunity to create the work that you want to do. So to go into this this space that was supposed to be like, this is the break from that. This is so you don't have to do that and be treated this way was wildly um, humiliating. It was humiliating. It was humiliating. And I was then escorted out and the security guard who had been kind the whole time, he said, I'm sorry for doing that, you know, but we have to do our jobs. And I said, you know, I, I don't typically do this. I don't typically do this, but I want you to write down my name because when you look me up, you're going to realize how ridiculous it was that you were asked to remove me from this event because there's no foundation for me to have been removed, especially in this fashion from this event. And what happens when we just say that we're just doing our job, sometimes what we really are doing is using it as a mask to actually stand for something because our jobs oftentimes are just how we make money but they're not necessarily like who we are. I'm very fortunate that I do a job that is representative of who we are, but I had to take a lot of time to get to that point. You know, if I was at Canyon Road when I was working at that restaurant and there's someone who has a crying baby and is wet, soaking wet, and then there's someone in front of them who's sitting by them, who, who is going to be sat by themselves and in line, like the person with the crying baby who's soaking wet like has to wait, I could just say, like, I, I, can't, I, I can't make any, I can't make any um, concessions for this. I'm just doing my job. But if you're a human, you figure out ways to do your job that, that don't get in the way of your humanity. 
So like in that situation, what would have happened is I would have asked the person, like, hey, I know that you're next on the list, but she's really like got a lot going on. And is there any way possible I could seat her first? Now, if that person was still on some fuck shit, then I would have been like, I'm, I'm seating, seating her, her first. first. But you still got to try to figure out how to do that. And then, and I had to tell that to that security guard because I said, you know, you have to make sure that whenever you're quote unquote doing your job, that you're not letting it infringe upon your integrity. So anywho, in the wake of this, I have talked about it on my Instagram and I've had some people say things to me like you're just being childish. She didn't want you at the party, so you shouldn't have been at the party. Um, you shouldn't have any re- you shouldn't have any problem with her wanting you not to be at the party like it's her prerogative. And the reason why I'm telling this story within the context of side effects of professionalism is for a number of reasons. One, this party was not at her house. This was not a personal event. This was not a birthday party. This was not a bris. You know, this was not uh, a naming ceremony. This was a Hollywood party for black entertainers and contributors to Hollywood. So by nature of that, I am a part of that industry and should be here celebrating with my community. Two, she's not the only one putting this party together. There are other people that are involved. I stated many times that I've been invited by Jesse Williams and I was met with dismissals and disregard. It was shocking to me. I mean, was was it really really shocking, shocking, Amanda? Amanda? I mean, yes. When I left the party and find out that there had been stories made up about what had happened, that I had bum rushed the door and needed to be wrestled out, that I had gotten to an argument with somebody and was escorted out because I was causing a ruckus. I even saw a blog that said that I had peed on the floor and that's why I was asked to leave and that they had to get an industrial cleaner to come in and clean the floor. None None of those those things took place. And, and the reality is that I knew I was in a professional space and, and, and there was, there was a higher part of me that knew I was in a professional space. And that's, that's the part that kicked in and was like, you You can't can't fight fight with these security guards. guards. You You can't. can't. It's very frustrating To be somebody who's really just trying to do good work and have to deal with this type of unprofessionalism and to deal with this type of informality and to deal with this type of literal just fucking petty ass fuckery. And Hollywood is so rife with this. But I really, you know, you know me, like I'm always just like, yeah, but why we got to do that as a sisterhood? Like, why is that even necessary? And I had to remain professional And some people would say, well, if you were being professional, then you wouldn't even say who she is. Fuck that. Some behavior does not deserve the luxury of anonymity. And this was an instance where, no, no, no. 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 I'm not going to have this story told by other people without me telling my story. I may not have felt the need to say it if I hadn't heard that it was being skewed and uh, disseminated amongst individuals in a distorted fashion. So for anyone who's listening, Just know this, you're going to be in scenarios where people are going to bring their personal fuck shit into a professional space, but that cannot change how you carry yourself professionally. And it's sometimes so difficult to do because you're a human and because they're trying so hard to get you off your square and they would love the opportunity to be able to retaliate professionally by you responding to their personal attack. Don't Don't give give it to them. them.
another thing about being professional some people think that professionalism is about being quiet and about keeping shit to yourself and keeping secrets and protecting things and you know like there's a certain truth to the fact that like you sign non-disclosure agreements where you do not reveal like the secrets of a company etc etc but again you got to look at your ethics because if that company is like you know, burning down the Amazon, if that company is, is, you know, denying people loans based on their color of skin, if that company is selling products to detention centers that are unjustly holding the children of immigrants, like, you got to ask yourself, like, can you really be aligned with this? And, you know, I know that it's very easy for me to sit in a pace of privilege and look down on that. And people are like, well, I gotta do what I gotta do for money. And that's fair. And that's, you know, I can't even challenge you on that. Like, some people are selling drugs because they got to do what they got to do for money. Some people are selling, you know, stolen goods. Some people have had to work for abortion doctors that are doing late term abortions. And, you know, like people have had to do extreme things for money to keep themselves afloat. But you have to have a consciousness about that. And you have to be really, really aware of what you're doing. And some of us just like to say, I'm just doing my job. And when it comes to being professional, keeping the secrets of the malintent is not professional. And we do that. Because we're tricked into thinking that. And it's the same, it's almost like the same type of trickery that we're told, like, that abusers tell those that they're abusing. You know, like, don't tell anybody, shh, or else I'm going to hurt you. It's like, don't tell anybody or else we're not going to pay you. And, you know, like, I, I don't, I, I've been in scenarios where I've had to, like, excise myself from a situation because I'm just like, I can't be a party to this. Like, this is not cool and I'm just going to have to be broke because I can't rock with this. But this situation that I experienced you know, people want to tell you, like, you can't say anything. You shouldn't say anything. And because it's going to make some, it may make someone look bad. It may make someone mad. You know, it may hurt someone's feelings. But the reason why I felt like it's important to share that story is because I want you all to get a chance to look at it from a bunch of different perspectives, like from my perspective, from Vanessa's perspective, from the security guard's perspective. And even though I was the one delivering the story, I think it's important to just listen to it again and trying to think about like, well, where was everybody coming from? And when you look at that, you got to say that some people were coming from a professional standpoint and some people weren't. And this was a professional space. At the end of the day, this was a professional space. And that is where you have to hang your hat. And that's where you plant your flag. And that's the hill you die on. And when you are in that space, you got to look at your reputation and you got to look at how you regard yourself. And you don't want nobody else's behavior to ever infringe upon that. Because you're going to have to leave that professional space at some point. So that Kiara, the chick at the front door... Well, apparently she's not a white girl, but she came in talking about, no, it's not Vanessa who escorted her out. It's me. I want her to leave. I want her to leave. And I look at Kiara and I feel sorry for her because she's working for somebody who's got her carrying out this fucking bullshit ass behavior. And she don't even know where she's going to end up in this industry. And she might find herself in a situation where she has to get a job and I'm the one who's supposed to give it to her. And because she aligned herself with this person blindly, not even really truly understanding why this person is behaving this way, she has now put herself in a situation that has nothing of positivity for her, but all of the positivity for this other person who thought it was a positive move to do the shit. So just think about these things. We're going to do a part two of this episode. 
But I wanted to share this story because I wanted y'all to hear about how business and personal and informality and personableness, how they all can intertwine and in some ways be excellent like it was when I worked at Canyon Road, how in other ways it can be deleterious how it was at this Emmy party. And take a look at where you fit in those two situations and how your scenario that you're in, whether as a leader, as an employer, or as an employee, as a partner, etc., and how you are manifesting those things in your professional life. One last thing before I go. They will always call you crazy when you're smarter than them. I'll see y'all next week. Stop it, stop it. A, podca- <clears throat> A podcast network.